Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and I am looking for my buddy Seth Robinson. Seth, are you out there? Hey, here I am. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing really well. Got beautiful weather. Uh, I managed to survive the week of work that comes after a week of vacation, which is never easy, as you know, trying mm-hmm. to do re-entry and catch up on everything. But I survived. Yeah, especially because yours is kind of the same as mine. Your school is starting a little later. And so I came back from vacation and was like immediately into this rush of getting ready for school, which was another thing that I didn't really want to be doing. And so that seemed like it made it worse. I'm thinking late summer vacations, not exactly the best. but Yeah, I kind of have the same feeling. I'm in the middle of that, too. I've got another week at least before one kid goes back to school. But my oldest going back to college uh, tomorrow. So this whole week has been, you know, creating a staging area of stuff in my living room that we've got to pack into the car and get ready. So that's been a bit of a distraction, but hopefully by Labor Day weekend, things will have settled down in terms of those sort of duties that have to take place. Yeah. Yuppers. Yep. So you've got a new study. I figured we'll dive right into it because I've seen you present on it now a couple of times and uh, it's interesting stuff on the new modern IT architecture. So you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So a few months ago, as we were you know, kind of heading into the second half of the year and thinking about the studies that we were going to do, we knew we wanted to talk about cloud computing. We knew we wanted to talk about Internet of Things. And as I was thinking about those two things, I started reading about enterprise architecture planning. Uh, and it's a concept that goes back probably about 30 years. So into the 80s when companies were really starting to build out their IT infrastructure. It was becoming a critical part of operations. And at very large entities, especially government organizations, they started trying to think about being more proactive around it. Uh, And so a lot of enterprise architecture planning uh, at the beginning came from government agencies and government organizations trying to establish criteria for what went into planning and how to make things more efficient. Uh, and I think that then as it as it bled into the, the largest private enterprises, it became one of those things kind of like services-oriented architecture or uh, ERP installations that really got, you know, a cottage industry of consulting built around it and people trying to specialize in certain frameworks or certain methodologies around this type of planning. And so I think that there will be a lot of people today that will have heard of this and and might have a negative reaction to it. But I think that with some of the changes that we've seen with cloud computing and, and now heading into IoT, those things are changing the architecture enough that really is, is driving a forcing function uh, to, to think about some, some future planning a little bit more. And so a lot of small businesses are not going to go through formal planning stages and and think about these frameworks uh, in the same way that a very large organization would. But I I think just the concept of being forward-looking, of knowing where you want to go and what it's going to take to get there, and then definitely having the flexibility to change as new technology comes in, I I think that's going to be important. And, And companies aren't just going to want to attack IT one project at a time, one year at a time, and look at their budget and say, okay, what are we going to do this year with with the money that we have and uh, with the technology needs that we have? 
Yeah, I, I think back to, um, you mentioned uh, the days when we had this uh, cottage industry around things like giant ERP installations, and I was a reporter back then writing about those things, and it was a bit negative. I mean, there were you know tons of packaged software that was purchased at a very high cost that would then sit idle or, you know, it would be, you know, just not used to its fullest extent within organizations because they just didn't either, either plan well for it. It was all in silos and nothing talked to one another. And it ended up being kind of a bit of a debacle. Um, but it seems today, if you are thinking about long range planning and what you're doing with your IT, given that we're in this cloud universe now where things move so, so quickly, so dynamically that we actually may be able to pull this off if people do it well. It's not going to be uh, what we saw in the 90s and the early aughts with, uh, with ERP installations, that giant packages of software that just went nowhere for a lot of companies. So when you talk about this type of planning, you're thinking about this in a holistic way, right? The entire organization, all of your IT from a digital perspective, thinking about it as one big project to think about long term. Right. This is closely related to something like building digital organizations, which is another mm -hmm. study that I've done, or the study that you did on line of business IT purchasing. Underlying all of those things is this notion of having technology being driven by the business goals, rather than trying to just select the best technology that's out there that's going to perform a, a foundational function and a supporting function. And I, I think that that rethinking of technology is one that businesses are struggling with, not just to pick the technology then and have it come in, but to figure out exactly what the workflow looks like and what the operations are to say, here's a business goal that we want. Now, how does that trickle down through business units? How, do, how are they setting their strategy and how are we matching it with the right technology? And just like businesses have a business plan that looks out into the future so that they know where they want to go and how they want to grow, the technology plan is going to have to match that. Uh, and so it can't just be a reactive thing of, well, something broke or we need to upgrade this or the licenses have expired. They, they have to know where they're going uh, and they can center it around some different things. They could center it around the components, which probably gets a little too close to the, the project-based or the, the end-of-life type approach. Or they could center it around the users and try to really define that user experience. And I think that would have to go beyond just saying, how are we making users more productive? It would be really redefining that experience and their interaction with technology. Uh, and then maybe the, the best approach would be to, to center it around data. And what's the data that's flowing through the organization? What do we want to do with it? Where does it need to live? And now what are we going to build up around that? And what kind of tools and analytics and applications are we going to bring in that allow everyone to access the data they need? From the study, were you able to tell, I mean, who's taking the reins here? Are, are businesses, I'm, I'm imagining this is happening more proactively right now at the enterprise level from the CIO's office, or I don't know if, you're, if your findings were, were any different from that. As you mentioned earlier, this is not going to be in the wheelhouse of small business, at least for the foreseeable future, I don't think. But you've got you know the mid-market companies, and then you've got enterprise companies. Uh, who's leading the charge here? We tend to see this being a CIO activity, and I think that that makes sense when you're starting to think about what is a CIO supposed to be doing today? So if, if everything's getting driven from business goals and everyone is coming to the table together and, and trying to weigh in and, and share their requirements and share their concerns, then I think that 
for the CIO to be strategic, he or she needs to think forward into the future and, and be planning out that as, as you're describing this to me and as we're talking about multi-year plans, this is my multi-year plan for the technology. Uh, and then the businesses can see that and they can understand it. Uh, and so I think that as much as a lot of the digital transformation stuff tends to be very collaborative or might even be, be driven from a CEO type level, I think that a lot of this architectural planning starts to gravitate more towards the IT function and be led by a CIO or be led by a third party that's performing the IT function uh, and have a lot of implications for all of the IT professionals that would be working there as they're trying to not just do tactical work, but become more strategic. Well, you, you mentioning tactical work. I mean, I think that this opens the doors. We long talk in many of the studies that we do about how uh, the channel and managed services providers in particular are positioned well to take over a lot of the tactical IT duties of the day-to-day running of a business. And rather than that be a negative for the CIO's office and all of his or her employees, it's a positive because then they can work on these more strategic alignments and goals that they need to be doing for the, the bigger, broader business. And I think that aligns perfectly with having the channel have a role and having the CIO's office have another role and, and they can work collaboratively. And it doesn't mean that one uh, one overshadows the other, really. Right. I, I think that it'll be interesting to see exactly how this topic fits into a lot of the digital transformation efforts or a lot of the activities that are happening today. Because I think it would be tough for a CIO or a channel firm to kind of step in and say, let's talk about architectural planning or enterprise architecture planning. That's going to, I think, cause that sort of visceral negative reaction like, oh, EAP, you know, that's this Mm -hmm. thing that we don't want to do. I think it has to be a little bit more nuanced and and a little bit more carefully handled as as they start to shift people's thinking into a more forward-looking, proactive, strategic approach without using some of the terms or some of the even methodologies or some of the, the specific techniques that may have been used in the past that are going to just create visions of uh, overhead that's blowing up and, and unnecessarily spent. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it, you know, it can uh, evoke a big groan on the part of many who've been through these kinds of enormous project undertakings in the past. So you're right, uh, the, maybe the, uh, the semantics around it need to be different and um, the approach has to have more speed. And I think I think if you talk about it as a business objective, uh, and and we talk about this a lot, um, I think that that's a more effective communications tool than to refer to it like you said in some sort of technology terminology. Yeah, and and to talk about the technology itself, then I mentioned at the beginning that cloud and IoT I think play a really important part in the way that this discussion is going to evolve going forward. Uh, what we see with cloud, if cloud is kind of the present and there are a lot of companies that are moving through the stages of adoption that we've defined in the past, we saw in this study that the challenges that companies have in adopting cloud solutions have changed a little bit and they've moved out of some of those early stage challenges like the learning curve or some unexpected cost and the top challenge now by a decent margin is integration with existing systems that as you're moving from a single migration where you're learning things and and you understand what kind of benefits you get from having an application in the cloud now you're moving into this multi-cloud architecture that we've described and everything has to work together Uh, and, Mm -hmm. and that i think is a huge driver for thinking about all the pieces that you have and thinking about whether they work together or not 
uh, and what it would take to make them work together a little bit better. And then moving forward into IoT, that situation is only going to get worse and worse. What we see is, uh, especially at the SMB level, people have, have taken a step back from last year on saying that they're really pursuing IoT initiatives, and I think that makes sense. I think that's similar to what we've seen in cloud. People are doing a reality check. But what we see them doing, if they think they're doing some IoT stuff, they're probably going directly to a vendor and what I am imagining happens is that they, they think, well, we, let's control the lighting in our office space or let's control the heating and cooling a little bit better with some smart devices. And so they, they go out and they get the device itself and they install it and it brings some benefit. But we're not talking about network effects yet. We're not talking about building out an entire array of, of this technology and then pulling in all the streams of data and analyzing it and doing something new. Uh, and so that integration that we see as a challenge for cloud today is going to be a huge challenge for IoT going forward. And as all these new pieces are now part of the architecture, it really is going to have to be thought about in advance. Yeah, I actually pulled that uh, integration data point from your study into, I, ref, um, I referenced it in the study that I'm working on, the report I'm working on right now, because uh, I think it's an interesting one and actually works well with, with the topic um, that I'm doing. But I think um, the previous study that I did online of business buyers pretty much implementing their own applications within their own departments and doing that fairly prevalently right now, um, I think that in and of itself is going to create and is creating an integration issue um, that the CIO's office is going to have to be keeping in check and making sure that they know, you know, all the moving parts that are happening within their organizations at the line of business level so that they can have that more strategic thought process around how everything's going to work together. Mm. Is this report is out, correct? It is out. It's available on our website. It's called Planning a Modern IT Architecture, and uh, it's available for all registered users. And I think that any of our membership, whether it's on the channel side or the IT pro side, would really benefit from looking through this. And, and maybe the time isn't going to be right for people to try to implement this you know, next Monday when they walk into their job. But you know, just as they're trying to think about planning their architecture into the future, I think they can start to plan how they can bring this discussion into the business and into some of the conversations that they're having. Yeah, agreed. Well, uh, it's a great report, so check it out, people. Yeah, thank you. Yes, you're very welcome. Well, in other news this week, uh, there were two different events that kind of caught my eye separately. And as I was thinking about it yesterday, uh, I think they come together into a discussion that we've had on here a few different times. And those two different items were Google partnering with Walmart so that people could do shopping, online shopping and delivery through the Google Home device that is Google's competitor to Amazon's Echo and Alexa service. And then just yesterday, news started coming out that Amazon believes that their acquisition of Whole Foods is going to close uh, next week. Yeah, and it did close. It, I believe it's approved and it's going to close Monday. Yeah, it's going to close on Monday. And they came out and said that immediately they are going to lower prices. There's going to be Amazon Prime benefits. And, you know, I had really never thought about them, you know, lowering prices right away. But it makes sense because Amazon and the way that they're measured and the way that their stockholders ex expect them to behave operates on a different margin than Whole Foods was. 
And while they obviously have to consider the different supply chain and some of the different mechanics that go into operating a grocery store, they have the ability to do that. And and so what it really said to me and, and the takeaway that I got from both of these things is that these technology companies that are growing much larger than any company that we've seen in the past, they have an imperative to grow and the place that they're going to start growing is into more and more of our regular life that we probably didn't think was digitized or, or, or doing technology. Uh, and, and so we're going to see more and more of this and I, they're going to grow more massive and I, I still am not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, lower prices at Whole Foods is good. Amazon having a little piece of every single activity I do through the day, I'm not sure. Yeah. No, you could argue both cases. You know, lower prices, yay. Um, monopoly, not so great. Um, and and it's it's gonna it's hard to, it's hard to see how this is gonna shake out. But it's super interesting to me that you're right. These technology uh, giants, in order for them to continue to grow and scale, are finding themselves in a position where they need to enter the you know the brick and mortar world essentially. Um, but they're gonna change what that what that world looks like. Uh, and I think you know going forward, our our kids and 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 their kids are gonna. Have, see a very different consumer-based uh, way of doing things. And I, I think both of these are um, illustrative of that. I think the lower prices at Amazon, uh, their business model enables that. It's, it, you know, they've always been willing to take a loss in order to continue growing. And, and I know that sounds, it sounds contradictory, but it's worked for them. And that's what their shareholders are used to, as you said. And I think by lowering prices at Whole Foods, they'll gain more customers. So the volume of customers goes up, and that'll help offset whatever margin hit that they take initially. Um, but I think it's fairly brilliant. And they also announced that, um, and this I think we talked about this when we first, when the deal first was discussed, that this might be one of the things that Amazon does do in buying Whole Foods. But they are going to, um, they are going to take returns from things that are bought online right in the Whole Foods store. So if you, you know, purchase some clothing online and it doesn't fit and you're going to buy, you're going to shopping, you can just take the piece, you know, the shirt or the sweater or the pants with you and drop them off there. Uh, and so um, it really is blending these two worlds in, in, like you said, in what may be a very awesome way, but also could be a very scary way. I'm interested to see how... The, the market starts to shift to maybe being two different modes of operation. You, you've probably heard the rainforest analogy where in a rainforest you get these super massive trees that are able to grow up and, and get to the sun and then they build a canopy. And mm -hmm. so you don't end up getting you know medium-sized trees, but down on the forest floor, then you have a pretty vibrant ecosystem that, that can survive there. And you know I just looked today at the top market cap companies all the top six are technology companies. And so it's Apple, it's Alphabet, who's the parent company of Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, and then the Alibaba group out of China. Mm -hmm. That's a huge conglomerate. And and all of those now are continuing to move upward. They're moving away from the traditional finance and oil that have been at the top of that list for a while. And so if those are the big humongous trees, and if they just start taking more and more life share, you know, and they're, they're touching every piece of our life, then do we accept that they can control a large percentage of it? And then for the rest, we're going to go to something that's hyper local or, or very small scale. Um, yeah, no, I think I mean, for the, from a channel perspective, I think that's absolutely what, what has to happen. Um, 
I think channel companies have to go super specific, super niche, super vertical, and and that's where they will thrive. And on in the you know the bottom of the forest, as you said, uh, and then because I, I do believe that these that these behemoths like Google's and Amazon's and Apple's of the world are are really going to own. They're going to own. I guess the way the utility companies own what they own, it's 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 they, they own the infrastructure and the basic underpinnings of what we do from a day-to-day technology perspective. But I do think there's going to be lots of room for that small growth, the shrubs that are all growing at the bottom of the rainforest, as you said. Um, I think that that you know you're going to have to learn to take advantage of it and make sure you craft your business in the right way. But I think there's going to be ample opportunity there. And one thing that I find interesting is you name the all the top market caps. It's this I think this year was the first time it ever was uh, the top five or six were all technology companies. But if you notice, none of those are HP or IBM or Cisco. I mean, it really we have the old guard has switched over to the new guard. It's quite obvious. Yeah, the closest one is Microsoft, right? They're, they almost yeah. stand out from that group as, as still being kind of old guard and and maybe not like the big multi-conglomerate where they've got a little piece of everything. I don't think that that's originally how you think of them. And, and yet, I think that with Nadella in there, that's kind of how he's trying to position them uh, starting with the enterprise, obviously, and and that's probably why they remain there. None of the rest are quite as much enterprise, and so I think Microsoft retains that stranglehold, and they're you know very happy about that. But when you hear them talk about how they want their software to be used and where they expect you to be inserting Microsoft, it starts to become more and more in these slices of life that maybe didn't have Microsoft or any other technology company there before. Yep, agreed. I think uh, we're we're definitely in a changing time here, uh, and even the smallest folks out there, company-wise, channel-wise, whatever, need to rethink their positioning. Uh, but I don't think, I don't necessarily think that having these giants at the top owning so much of of what we do from a technology perspective necessarily is going to edge out everybody else. I, I like your rainforest analogy quite a bit, and uh, and I think that that uh, for for all the smaller companies out there and the medium-sized companies, um, it's just a, it's just a case of trying to figure out your best specialization. And definitely being aware that you're probably not going to be them. And so certain no. examples or, or certain behaviors that you might see there are just not going to be emulated by someone in a, in a completely different area. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's a word of caution as, as these are are growing and really forging into new territory. But I, I think that, like we've been saying, at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of opportunity here left uh, in the in the gaps that these mm-hmm. big ones don't cover. Yep, totally agree. Well, now, maybe we should go on to be uh, Wall Street Journal market analysts, Seth. We're getting oh. good at this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sure they would love to have our analysis. Oh, so. gosh, yes. All righty. Well, again, a pleasure as always. I am uh, off to Burlington, Vermont tomorrow because I'm bringing, as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, bringing my daughter back to school. And I understand it's your oldest daughter's birthday today. And I know she was born in Burlington, Vermont. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It all kind of comes together. But yes. uh, it is her birthday. So uh, I don't Shout know out how to much Kate, we're going to see her. But yeah, happy birthday to her. And, uh, yeah, maybe we'll spend the weekend doing something with her if we ever uh, get her around the house. Uh, Well, good luck with that. 
All right. Well, you have a good one. You too. Bye-bye.